This is, this is the end day, end times. Uh, we, we, we don't have time. It's no more fluff, you know. I mean, there really isn't. We're, we're, being, we're being confronted on every, on every hand. Uh, you, you turn around and there's more infection now and there's all kinds of swine flu going around and you can't stop it. It just seems to multiply. Well, we can stop it. Yeah. And there's more terror going on and so there's more fear in the hearts of man. And what are we going to do? We know what to do. Yeah. Amen. Then you got a financial crisis and how are we going to make it? <laughs> we're already on the other side. Amen. You know, you know, I mean, we've got the answers for what the world's struggling with, and yet we've, we've learned over the years to become the silent voice. And it's time now to no longer be a silent voice, to, to rise up and in the political realms to have our say. Amen. It's terrible to let, you know, a small group of people with real horrible uh, uh, just uh, thoughts about life and, and uh, morals uh, try to dictate what goes on anymore. I mean, you know, our parents' parents would roll over in their grave if they saw the way, uh, you know, people are accepting all kinds of legislative law here and there. And it's just ridiculous. We need to stand up. Well, I'm not trying to say be this party or that party. I'm saying be a, God, a child of God. Amen. And we have a say-so. We've got backing from God. We, we ought to be the ones who are least afraid to die. Boy, we may have to talk about that in the next session. Couldn't do it in this one, but may have to talk about it in the next session. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, if you missed last night, you know, today is not necessarily what we're going to do. Uh, what we did last night, we're going to kind of go further. I had talked to your pastor about that. We're going to try to make each session a little bit different so it could end up being a series for you, all right? Um, that way you can get some of the tapes from last night or the tapes, uh, CDs from last night. And, uh, and then, of course, if you have to leave this morning uh, after this session, then get to the second service as well. You'll find that they'll all work together. They'll all be intertwined. You'll hear some of the same verses. Uh, the subject that we're preaching on, I believe, with all my heart, it is a subject for the day and the hour and the time. And the, the number one reason is it's not a new subject. It's just been missed. We overlooked it. We, we caught the fringe benefits of many subjects together, the union with Christ, our righteousness and grace and this, that and the other. We caught these things in so much that when you go to certain circles and speak on them, people say, oh, well, I know that. Well, no, you don't. Well, how, do you, how can you say that? Because just look at how the individual lives. They live off an expectation of how well they perform before God, whether or not they're going to receive from him. Amen. Their whole life is eat up with how they look to God. Amen. And if that's how we look, if that's how we find ourselves uh, acting in life. And, and you know, this, these, are, these are some of the kind of sermons where everyone just needs to go like this because it's probably going to touch somebody in here and everybody at least once or twice, some of the things we say. And at the same time, it's touching you, it's touching me. But I'm preaching this because the more I do, the more it's changing my life. Amen. I've been born again for 44 years. And it's only been the last couple of years that I've even begun to experience what my salvation is all about. Oh, wow. How long am I going to have to wait? Well, that's the good news. You don't have to. Amen. I mean, you, you can go to Bible school and for the last 20, I've been traveling for 25 years now. And for the last 23 years, I had a Bible school that taught some amazing and wonderful truths and yet learn all kinds of good things, still be eat up with works mentality and have none of it work for you. So 20 years later, you know better the things that you learned earlier and it still doesn't work. Do you know how frustrating that is? Makes you want to throw the whole, whole towel in and just say, forget it. Be easier to go back to what I had learned before. At least that way we can blame it on God. Amen. 
I mean, that's how I grew up. Everything that didn't work, it was God's will, his providence. So that's easy. Because nothing worked. It was all God. So you got used to nothing working. And you got used to blaming God. Washed your hands free and tried to just be a normal person. But oh my goodness, there's so much in Christ. Let's grab a hold of as much as we can, we can get in these last days and uh, see great miracle signs and wonders, of course, in your own life, because you can't really take somebody else somewhere you've never been. Amen? And the greatest example of who Jesus Christ is, is not just how you talk about him, it's how you live, how you experience the joy and the peace and the, and the health and the prosperity of God. All these things are a, are a lighthouse, an example to the world. And God has overdone it. I just want you to know God's a God of too much. So what he's done in redemption is so far beyond what we even need. Amen. And yet God's so happy to pour on more. In the Old Testament even it says he daily loads us with benefits. Amen. A daily load of benefits. Amen. I mean God's dump truck, had, uh, dump truck has backed up to your house day after day after day after day until he's almost can't find any more room to put a new load. Amen. <laughs> and we've not been using them. But God doesn't care. He's just so filled with so much. He just has too much to offer. Yeah, God so overdone this thing that he's made us overqualified for the job. Amen. He's made this whole thing foolproof so we couldn't mess it up. So that we would just live in his abundance. God actually believes about Jesus. He did a perfect job. Even though we may call upon the Lord and ask him to come do something that he's already done to make us be something that we already are, God actually believes that he did a perfect job the first time. And he's waiting for us to wake up and see what he's done. Amen. And by the goodness of God, lead us into repentance. Lead us into the things of God. Oh, there's so much to be said, even this morning. So let's just jump right into the word as we pray first. Father, we just ask you to help us with your wisdom to say exactly what needs to be said in the next 30 to 40 minutes. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing to heal. Lord, I won't even have to speak, Lord God, too much more about healing, and healings will just begin to manifest in this room. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this room in this short amount of time, manifesting your goodness, showing us your love, and revealing, Lord God, God, how wonderfully you've made us champions in Christ and given us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm not calling somebody, but I am going to read to you a wonderful scripture here. Praise the Lord that will kind of start us out. And I'm going to read two versions of it. It's uh, Jesus talking over in Matthew in chapter 11. You don't really need to turn there if you don't want to. You can go over to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And uh, the Amplified says, then I'm going to read to you the Message Bible. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest. Notice how they describe rest. Relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet. Oh, goodness. That's, that sounds like a vacation. For your souls. Amen. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Wow, that's just so good. That almost seems like a fairy tale. Let's go on over here to the message version and see if this doesn't seem to maybe uh, read our mail. Amen. 
I'm going to start in verse 28 this time. And if anyone kind of feels this way, you don't have to really literally raise your hand, but you might want to kind of do a little bit of these, amen? Because these first three questions, actually I have to go like this. Because they speak right to my heart. Just the way that we've seen ourselves almost religiously through some of the good doctrine that we've had, but we've tainted it with such works and frustration that we come to this place where Jesus said, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Amen. I mean, he read my mail. How about you? He said, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Wow, that kind of sounds like a Jesus doctrine, doesn't it? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Well, you know that's something we all need, because even if you do go on a vacation, sometimes you come back and need a vacation for your vacation. Amen. And it's not that you physically need something, it's that you mentally went on vacation, but your mind was still at work. You're stressed, full of anxiety. We haven't been walking in the peace of the Lord. Amen. This place where you can actually go about your day and see him do more than you could do more. There is a strength, praise the Lord. There is an ability from above. If we don't tap into it, we can have a tag on our back that says Christian and yet live exactly like Tom, Dick, and Harry down the street who are actually on their way to a devil's hell. said in verse 29, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Do you know when you think about Jesus, he was never stressed? Didn't say when Jesus was walking to Emmaus, he was walking so fast they had to say, hey, slow down, I'm trying to catch up because he just couldn't wait to get there. He's all balled up, you know, tighter than an eight-day clock. Say, so what does that mean? You've got to go down south to find out what it means. Amen. <laughs> Mickey knows. Amen. <laughs> I mean, just people that are constantly so tight, you know. We're talking about a rest. A rest to your soul. See, it's amazing what happens when peace comes to your soul. Immediately, it'll affect your physical body. Yes. Jesus made this statement here. He said, learn, this is what I like right here, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm. I mean, I almost have to demonstrate that for a moment. You know, when I grew up, uh, you know, we're just in, you know, we, we were in our church, our Baptist church, and of course everything was hymns, you know. Uh, so it was just a big, a big organ, you know, and everything's hymns. And, and you really never did clap, because there wasn't anything really to clap to. <laughs> but when you learned to clap, it was always on one and three, you know. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. And as you can tell, that's really jerky. That's hard. I mean, there's, it's not really easy. There's no rhythm there. It's not like you could go, yeah, to that. I mean, you can't. You're working too hard. Humor me for a second. <clears throat> it took till I was in the Raymond Singers and Band, and Annie looked at me, and everybody's clapping on two and four. I didn't know what two and four was. So she said, because I'm <laughs> working with this, you know. And we're singing Blood Bought Church, and he picked me up, you know, like this, and I'm, you know, I mean, it's a work, huh? It was hard to do and sing at the same time. And I remember she put her hand over here, she said, Jimmy, Jimmy, clap on two and four. Well, no one had ever told me that before. And I thought, what's two and four? And so I'm trying to watch her and just missing. I mean, it was a, it was a new beat, but then all of a sudden I got it, it was like, and I thought, oh, I, I can move. 
Hey, it makes me want to shout. Hopefully I didn't ruffle your feathers. Amen. People are saying, my God, I think I'm leaving already. Praise the Lord. No, you got to understand, there's a rhythm. And uh, if we find ourselves so jerky in life trying to do everything, Jesus is trying to tell us, slow down. There actually is a rhythm to life. It's called grace. Where there's more of what I'm doing for you than you. And you'll find that it's easy and it's light. And I like the rest of what he said here. He said, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. My, that almost seems like it ought to be put in movies. And if it was, Walt Disney would probably go ahead and have the patent on it. It seems like a fairy tale, almost too good to be true. Can you really live life happily ever after? And so I don't mock these statements. I'm saying in truth, that was actually God's intention for his children, even in the midst of a devil's world. You say, where would you find something like that? Man, just even go back over to the 100th uh, Psalm and see that we are supposed to do what? Pull up to the table and eat our banquet right in the presence of our enemies. We'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death and yet not stop there to have to camp there to have to go through all the death. In other words, we're going through this world that's full of stress and strife, through this world that's full of sin and sickness and disease, and it doesn't even have to touch us. It's kind of like in the Old Testament, the Lord saying you can walk through the fire and not even have the flame kindle upon you, not even smoke, not even come out on the other side smelling like you've been in a fire. Come out and people say, my, you look so good and yet you just went through the fire. But God in his grace, in that rhythm where you're just walking in rhythm, walking in his ability, you come out on the other side in victory. Wow, praise the Lord. You know, you'll find that there will be no victory of any consequence that will last unless the obstacle of sin is first removed. Look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Oh, I'm excited this morning for the next few moments. And hallelujah, it'll be a miracle, but I know God's in miracles for me to give you a couple thoughts here in the next few moments. If you want to stay to the next service, you can. We just might be a little tight in here. But praise the Lord, God wants to do some wonderful things. You know, those things that we spoke about as we were praying, people are being healed right now of those things. And if that's you, just expect, praise the Lord, to just jump up and run around the room. You can go ahead and do it any time. You won't interrupt me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you look down here, and it says in verse 55, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Wow, praise the Lord. That sounds like somebody who knows that they can go right in the face of death and just taunt it a little bit. Do you know, it's time for us as the sons and daughters of God to stand up to the devil, go right into his little face, amen, because you understand he's been whipped, he's been beaten. And besides that, you have to realize your enemy is not on the same par. He's not on the same level of existence as we are. I like to say it like this just for the sake of your imagination catching the idea of what it was like when God made man. He made man in his image and he made man in his likeness. Over there in Psalm chapter 8, it must have been an angel or some type of created creature that God had made in heaven, was looking down at all the time that God was spending on the earth and this canvas that God had over this creation that he was making and thinking, what is God making down there? He might have been saying, what is it? And finally God took the canvas away and said, this is man. Well, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou would visit him? For thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and given him a dominion over all the works of thy hands. Yea, over the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
really pretty powerful when you think of it, that someone was looking on and seeing what God was doing, found out that what God was making was called a man. Well, what is a man? Well, a man's just like God. So much so that I like to say it like this, there's two totem poles in life. On one totem pole, you've got all the created creatures that God has made. And with that comes angels and demons. And God didn't make demons, you understand. But angels fell. And Lucifer's over in that category, or Satan. Over on this category with all the animals and everything else that God had made. And this totem pole over here has four heads on it. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and man. That's a completion of one totem pole. That totem pole cannot be touched by the rest of creation, not even by angels. Angels are not made in the image and likeness of God. Only one creation is made in the image and likeness of God, and that happens to be man. God made us as his prized possession. We would have taken the blue ribbon at the fair. We are God's Mona Lisa. Amen. The very best that he could do. He made us so much like himself that from the very moment Adam took his first, first breath, he could actually pal with God, walk with him, talk with him. And he was so intelligent because of God's ability that was placed in him that Adam actually was a part of the creative process that God said was very good. It's astounding when you see how powerful man is. So really, in retrospect, when you see the devil, oh my goodness, we've been running from what our imagination has said was this big, huge red creature with pointy ears and a pointy tail and a red pitchfork that was coming at us. Amen. But he's not anything at all like you think. He is defeated. He is whipped. He is completely bruised. Praise the Lord. He's just an angel. And even in his heyday, he would have been a servant to man. Somebody that would have said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. So when we find ourselves being a little bit leery about our enemy as though maybe we can't make it because the devil's out there, so what? I mean, the very fact that our enemy is the devil is the reason why you will make it. Because he has nothing on you. Amen. He is a completely defeated foe. Kind of like John Lake once said years ago, a man that had some tremendous results of divine healing, he said, no Christian, no believer, man or woman, will ever walk in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ until they first recognize that their enemy, the devil, is a completely vanquished foe. As long as you think that there's just a little bit of gray area out there where the devil could get you, then you'll find yourself never stepping beyond what I call the veil of conscience, the place where your mind has been before, but now you're not willing to step into the unknown because you're afraid the devil might be there. That's exactly where you want to be. Go right into the unknown. Stand right up to the devil. He'll cower before you. Come on, resist him and he will what? Flee from you. It's very interesting. We can quote that verse, but when the time of life comes and the crisis is there, very rarely do we confront it like as though we are the victor and it is the defeated. You don't have to say amen at all at the same time. Praise the Lord. That's okay. But I love what I'm seeing here. Somebody's talking like they actually know that there is victory in Christ. It goes on down to verse 56 and says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Or it says the strength of sin is the law. Well, I know this to be true. Bumblebees and wasps and just bees in nature, the thing that makes them so fearful is what? Thank you. We're all in agreement. It's a stinger. Because really, if you took the stinger away from a bumblebee, at best, he'd be pretty much like a Pittsburgh Steeler mascot. Amen. (laughs) 
I mean, you might feel something on your face like that and say, oh, what was that? Well, that was a little bumblebee. Oh, how cute. Because he's just fuzzy. Fuzzy and light, yellow and black. And he flies. He's squishy. They even got little songs about a bumblebee. Amen. Won't my mommy be so proud of me? Amen. Well, the thing that makes him fearful is what? The stinger. So fearful. In fact, my wife had a bad experience when she was younger. A couple wasps flew down her shirt. She couldn't get them out, and they stung her. And, of course, ever since, she's had this thing about stingers. You know what I mean? And so if anything comes into the house that has a stinger, she just leaves. So even young, you know, when we first had our kids, and they were just babies, so where are the kids? Well, they're inside. You left them inside? I left them inside. Well, how could you do that? Because there's a wasp. Where's the wasp? It's in with the kids. Don't you care? I mean, she's even got neighbors to go inside where the kids were, where the wasp was, and get the wasp. Amen. Now, she wouldn't like me to tell that, but she'll be here in the second session. I'll I'll reiterate it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) What are we afraid of? We're afraid of the stinger. So what would happen if uh, the stinger was gone? (laughs) You really wouldn't be afraid any longer. Isn't it interesting to hear that uh, Jesus de-stung death? He took the sting out of death. Well, how did he take the sting out of death? It says here the strength of sin, and sin is the stinger to death. Well, how did he defeat sin? Mm, It says the strength of sin is the law. So it has to say something about the law. Amen. Turn over to Colossians in chapter 2 real quick. As I look here, Matthew chapter 5, 17 and 18 in the, the ESV translation, and it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. See, Jesus didn't come to, uh, to do away with the law. the law. There was nothing wrong inherent with the law. Think about it. The law just told us how holy God was. And if you want to serve God, you're going to have to be holy. The law was set as a school teacher. What did it teach us? It taught us that we could not be holy on our own. Why was that such a good lesson? Because man was living according to his own ability. And when there's no law, there's no judgment. And if there's no judgment, there's no standard. And if there's no standard, then man just lives like he wants to and doesn't have any point of reference to get to God. So God established the law to do what? To bring man unto a standard. So that man could see that, wow, we really want to be like God. Why? Because we were made in His image and in His likeness. But the problem is the law didn't help man to get to God. It just became even a greater obstacle. Why would God then give us a law? To point us to Christ. It was a school teacher to show us what we couldn't do and to point us to a Savior so that no one would miss Him. Isn't it interesting, Jesus even made comments to the Pharisees and said, you search the scriptures for me, yet I stand right before you and you don't even know me. Why? Because you've made the law your savior. It can't save you. It only reveals your sin. Pastor friend of mine was asked a question, how come you don't preach on sin more at your church? He said very simply, because my people sin well enough on their own. (laughs) 
You may think that to be funny, but you got to understand something. The moment you begin to tell people over and over and over again, sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, in their mind, they'll leave trying not to sin. When you try not to sin, it's your effort versus sin. You've already proved that you can't win. I said you've already proved that you can't win. Listen, we applaud your discipline. We applaud your willpower, and we certainly want to tell you that good deeds are better than bad deeds. But the problem of sin has to be removed in your life for you to have ultimate victory. It's not just trying to do right, because the moment that you end up doing one thing right, you end up missing in another area. And Jesus came and showed us that if it's just up to you thinking that, well, I seem to have done everything right today, then Jesus took it to a whole other level and said, according to the way you think in your heart. In other words, you could have done everything right, but how'd you think about things today? I mean, you might have looked at an individual and said, hey, good to see you. Praise the Lord. And walked away and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I saw him. Oh, Jesus, Lord, have mercy. Hope I don't have to see him again. Well, you know, you may have done everything what seems to have been right, But then what was really going on in your heart? Jesus took it to a whole new level of the heart. Hey, man, I mean, just kind of like that rich man. You know, he came to Jesus saying, you know, what are the the best commandments? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. Jesus said, well, you've rightly said. He said, well, I've kept all these from my youth. He said, well, then go ahead and sell your money, give it to the poor, and then follow me. The man went away sorrowful. Jesus revealed his heart. Amen. If you miss it in one area, you get a flag on the whole test. Yeah, but I got a 90. Not according to the law. You miss one, you miss them all. It's either all or nothing when it comes to the law. If you're going to judge yourself and go back to the Old Testament and live under your performance, it better be perfect or it's all wrong. Wow, Jesus came to do away with that system. Somebody say amen to that. That's worth a big amen. Hallelujah. He came to do away with that system. Look at Colossians in chapter 2, and you'll come down here to verse 14, and it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What's he talking about? Talking about the law. Jesus removed the law. What happens when you remove the law? You break the back of sin. What happens when you break the back of sin? You de-sting death. Man, you want you take once you take the stinger out of death, you can go up to death and say, "Hey, where's your victory?" Yeah, right. <laughs> Amen. All of a sudden, it changes your outlook because you're no longer afraid to die. Right. Amen. So that's one of the major problems that we have in the body of Christ right now. We ought to be so much on a greater level of not fearing death than any other people upon the face of the earth because we actually have an outcome of such life. In other words, Paul saw the other side, and there were times when he was in, in, in the fixation of saying, do I die, or, uh, which is gain, or do I live, which is better for you? And, and, and the interesting thing is he actually had the choice. We live life like when the problems of life come, we don't have a choice. We just have to submit to them. We're just a welcome mat. And so death comes and the doctor says you got six months to live. I know exactly what's, what I'm talking about here because being in healing school for those 10 years where I used to teach all the time, I'd get people that would have told us in the morning time their certain situation. Doctor said i got 10 months to live. Cancer's in my body. You know, I, I shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. In the afternoon session, I'd get into un, uh, uh, in, under the anointing and go up to somebody and say, now I'm going to tell you right now on the count of three, get up and run around this room and I'm going to run with you you're going to be healed instantly in Jesus' name. 
And those people would look me back in the face and they'd say things like this. Well, my doctor said if I did any extra work like that and got too, you know, too exhausted that, that it could speed up the whole process of my death. And I'd look at him and say, are you kidding me? You're going to die anyhow, for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, get there today, get there in six months. Come on, you're going to get there. So why would you be worried about death? And people would think, you know, they'd hear me say stuff like that, and people don't understand what you're doing with folks, so they think, how dare you make light their life? Who are you? You don't understand. As long as the fear is there of dying, they'll never live. See, it's where you're afraid to lose something that you'll never gain it. And that's where we are as a people. That's the reason why even Christians are so careful about, you know, even letting people know that they're born again. We're so afraid of telling somebody about Jesus because we're afraid to lose. Listen, folks, we cannot lose. It's impossible. If you died today, you would never even come back here. The moment that you step over on the other side, it's far better. It's so much better. Amen. No more struggles, no more pain, no more sorrow. Not even in the air. Come on, you're living with Jesus. I mean, you got all kinds of people blowing themselves up with the self-deluded idea that you're going to have 72 virgins over there on the other side, and it's not even true. And here we are as believers knowing, praise the Lord, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody may want to unzip here today. Praise the Lord and just go. Come on, the moment that sin is broken, death is de-stung. And the moment death is de-stung, man finds himself stepping beyond the conscience. You know, the realm of the miraculous is in a place that's uncomfortable to the mind. It's in a place where you feel like you're going under and everybody around you tells you so. Come on, if you've never been there before, praise the Lord. It's an exciting place. It's like being on a roller coaster. Now, I don't do roller coasters. If you ever go to a theme park and you see some poor chap sitting there with four purses, that's me. Amen. My wife and my three children. Amen. And someday they'll end up having their friends come with us and there'll probably be six or seven purses there. Amen. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Amen. I just hold their stuff and just say, have a good one, and then praise the Lord. Just get, get some tunes going or Amen. pray in other tongues or something. Amen. That's my theme park, exper- park experience. Amen. But I have, I have my theme park in the spirit, praise the Lord. The thrill, amen, of stepping beyond the realm of your conscience where you feel like you can and jumping over into the arms of God where you lose all control and just let him have it, amen. amen. Sink or swim, here I go, praise the Lord. And that's where the miraculous realm is. But you got to get past your mind, which is always concerned about how you look compared to God. In other words, if you're questioning whether or not you did the right thing or whether you did not do the right thing as the means to whether or not you can walk in the supernatural, right there and then you are a dead man in the water. And that's how we've lived all of our lives. We've lived our lives according to the world system. Do more. Strive harder. Be better at it. You put your best effort forward. And that's good in the world, but not with God. Why? Because God actually had a Savior to come and do all that for us. God had someone for us by the name of Jesus who did everything so perfect, who had the right attitudes, the right, the right heart, praise the Lord, who did everything perfectly so that we could absolutely live off of His finished work. As long as you identify yourself with who you are, you'll find yourself always fighting in the flesh or in the natural realm. The moment you begin to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, that's where victory comes.
Amen. Thank God for what Jesus did. I want to read in Lombok's translation, a different translation here of Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, But God forgave your sins and brought you back to life with Christ. God crossed out the whole debt against us in his account books. He no longer counted the laws that we had broken. He nailed the account book to the cross and closed the account. No service fees. Do you know what that means? That means when Jesus took your sin, he hung on the cross, and he became sin, that he that knew no sin will become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That means the moment that he took your sin, it is your sin, past, present, and future. Now, a lot of people say, well, thank God he crossed out my sin. That is my past. But now I'm dealing with the ones that I have did today and the ones that I'll do tomorrow. No, thank God you're not dealing with that either. What do you mean? Jesus crossed those out too. He did what? He crossed out your sin. He closed your account with sin on it. You don't have an account in heaven that says sinner. In the mind of God through Jesus Christ, you've never been a sinner. In the mind of Christ, you've never, you never will be a sinner. I mean, God's not looking at my sin. There's no sin for God to look at. Jesus took it. Ah, oh, come on now. I know better than that. I know what I did. Well, that's the problem, see. You're too well aware of what you did. Turn over your Bible over to, to Proverbs chapter 4. I said, you're too well aware of what you did. This is the reason why my friend made the comment, well, no, my people sin well enough on their own. See, there's some thought here that's necessary. The moment you get people sin conscious, at that moment, you'll never get them out of sin. The thing you become most conscious of is the thing that your spirit will recreate, amen, and you'll end up living in it naturally. What do you mean by that? You are a creative spirit, and what you put before your eyes and the thing that seems to most motivate you is the thing that you will find that naturally your spirit will create. And if you're afraid of sin and you're struggling with certain habits and those things become the obstacle to you, then you'll find your spirit will latch on to those things and those things will always be an obstacle to you. Come on now, we've got to understand something. Uh, the law gave strength to sin and sin produced death. It became the stinger to death. But Jesus broke the back of sin by doing what? Canceling the law. He fulfilled it. In other words, from number 1 through number 10, Jesus never failed. So he was the only human being that had perfect blood and the only human being that had walked perfectly on the face of the earth. You understand, you cannot have a sacrifice under the Levitical law unless you have a spotless lamb. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the way. It was God's plan, but Jesus actually walked in perfection. He fulfilled the plan. How did Jesus walk so perfectly as a man? Did he do it because he was God? Nay, none of what Jesus did, he did as God. Everything Jesus accomplished was as a normal human being, just like one of us. Well, then what gave him such advantage? It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. The very thing we're talking about. Learn what Jesus said. The unforced rhythms. Woo, I'm starting to get some rhythm in my life. Of what? Grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. There's a rhythm to this life. Where you walk in his strength and not yours. What did Jesus always talk about? He said, the things my father speaks on, those are the things that I speak. What did Jesus always do? He said, the things I see my father do, those are the things that I always do. Jesus hooked himself up to truth where he didn't do anything or say anything, lest it be according to what was righteous in the mind of God. 
Jesus didn't see himself like it. He's my hero. I have to absolutely applaud him. Why? Because I can't believe it, and yet I do, because I know it's so. But as the only eagle living with all the turkeys, he never gobbled. Come on, think of it now. Wouldn't you be tempted to gobble, 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 gobble when here you are an eagle and you could soar and soar and yet you live with turkeys so you just act like one. But Jesus never did. He soared above the problems of life as the eagle. Praise the Lord. The eagle has landed. Yes, he did. Amen. I'm laughing more because I got five minutes. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Come on with me to verse 20. It said, My son, be attentive or give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape or depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Notice what Solomon's saying. He's saying, don't make sin your issue. Yeah, but Brother Jim, I'm missing it like crazy, and I'm trying so hard not to. That's why you're missing it. What? But I'm trying hard. That's why you're missing it. As long as you're over here giving attention to all the things you don't do right or the things that you're trying to do right, and you're trying so hard to do them, you have given your attention to sin. And Jesus took your sin. Psalm 103 tells us he removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. How come he didn't say north to south? Anybody know? Because if you're in the south and you start going north, sooner or later you'll get to the north pole and then you're going to start going what? South again. In other words, you better hope that in your lifetime you never get to the north because then you're going to start going south and he's going to remember them all over again. Do you know if you're at the east and you're going west, you'll never get there? You'll always be going west. That is the continuum of how God has removed your sin. He will never, he can never, it is impossible for him to ever see you again as a sinner. They're gone, they're gone. No sense reminding him of what she did. Oh, brother, I know that's not so, because we're supposed to tell God and confess to him our sin. Number one, 1 John 1, 9 is the only passage of Scripture that is in the New Testament that reminds us about confession of sin. So then you have to, just by the fact that it's the only one there, you have to be careful what kind of a doctrine you build off it. And repentance is not not doing this, but doing this, because then it's still all about you, what you're trying not to do and what you're trying to do. Amen. Headlights, headlights. (laughs) You understand what I'm trying to say here? I'll say it in a couple other different ways. As long as you're trying so hard not to do something, you're trying so hard to do something, it's all your strength. Come on, Paul cried out three times, Lord, what about this problem? What about this problem? What about this problem? And God said, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. For when you're weak, then I'll make you strong. See, Paul was a quick learner. He got this. Paul even said, all the things that I've learned in my flesh, which was he was the top in his class. He was the best at being uh, ruled by the flesh, living according to the law. And Paul said, all of it I consider to be done. Why? Because it's all about me. In other words, if I can grab a hold of his ability and live by his strength, even my weaknesses will become stronger through him than my greatest strengths. 
See, this whole thing about life is not getting God's power to get you saved and then living by yourself. It's getting God's power to get you saved, then living by the same power that got you saved. There is an ability that comes out of the very heart of God that empowers a human being to be supernatural. Mm, glory to God. That'll literally change your desires about sin until you look at it. Kind of like if you've been eating roadkill all your life and had a filet mignon. You'd look back and think, my, I never want one of those again. And that's exactly what happens. Oh, taste. Come on, say it with me. And see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Come on, somebody help me. When you get a taste of him, mm, amen, it tastes so good, it'll cause you to never want to go back over. See, that's exactly the way God sees you. It's the goodness of God that leads a man. I know better. I can get you to act right if I just lower the hammer. No, 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 no. See, we can't live under fear and have an expectation of any lasting result. Because sooner or later, your emotions will not be on top. And you'll end up going right back or reverting back to what you knew. It's only by the grace of God that you can live in the very power, or in other words, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, you can't give all your attention over to sin. You've got to give your attention over to righteousness. What has he done for me? How does he feel today? How is his body today? Well, you know, my body's having some problems in this area. Guess what? You're united to Jesus Christ, and his body's been perfect ever since 2,000 years ago. So in other words, why don't you just go ahead and live out of his perfect body instead of yours? What are you talking about? Get yourself identified to your kidneys being his kidneys and his kidneys being your kidneys. Amen. And you won't have to go to dialysis again. Amen. You'll start going like everybody else goes. Amen. Give your attention over to the fact that your heart beats like his heart because his heart's perfect. Amen. You see, there is a divine exchange, folks. God never meant for Jesus to have to go to hell so that we could live out of the natural. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been necessary for him to go to hell. The whole reason why he went there is to do away with the old system where sin was the issue and put you over into the Jesus issue. Come on right now. The inventory of your life as we get ready to close is for you to begin to see yourself and say, in what areas have I been trying to perfect my own salvation instead of relating myself to the way he's already perfected it? And at that moment, you will unlock the grace of God. See, somebody's getting a hold of this. Because you know as well as I do that Paul said there is a treasure in your earthen vessel. You know what? Terrible thing to live poor if I got a treasure. <laughs> Dig the treasure out. How do you unlock the treasure? By seeing yourself in his righteousness. Last verse of scripture I'll give you. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake unto righteousness and sin not. <coughs> Notice Paul didn't say, stop sinning. Now awake unto righteousness. Because then it would be about you stopping to sin. He said, awake unto righteousness, and then you won't even want to sin. I'll say it again. Awake unto righteousness, and then sin won't be a problem. Or I'll say it another way. Awake unto righteousness, and you'll have no more poverty. Awake unto righteousness, and sickness will no longer be a problem. See, because if righteousness means I'm right in my spirit, my soul, and my body, then my body is more right than I know. And if I relate myself to how right his body is, my body starts to look like his. Amen. Why? Because there is an ability that will work in you when you see yourself like God sees you. I'm sorry, but God can't come down to our level of, of wallowing around in sin consciousness and saying, oh, I feel so bad about myself. I just feel so bad. Oh, God, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Because the whole idea is he already did it. 
I said he already did. Well, then if I miss it, how am I to come to God? I'm to come to God and talk about my problem exactly as he sees it. What would that look like? Father, I want to talk to you about sin. Thank you that you have removed sin as far as the east is from the west, and I'm no longer a sinner. And because I'm no longer a sinner, I thank you that the blood of Jesus continually washes me clean of every act, insomuch that your wonderful power, grace, is working in me right now to empower me to live above and not beneath, the head and not the tail, and you walk back out empowered not to go there again. Why? Because you awake unto righteousness, and then, wow, I'm not even having a problem with that anymore. Sickness. I don't remember when I wasn't having a problem, but it's been a while. I'm just healed as can be. <laughs> Went back to the doctor, and the doctor says, what are you doing? Kind of like the man that was, uh, and I got time just for this, kind of like the man that was about 95 pounds up in Minnesota. And I'm preaching up there, and he's got this big old medicine ball tumor in his belly called cancer, and he's dying. Smelled like death, smelled like he'd be dead any moment. Went over there and laid hands on him. Within the course of the next week, that thing just He went back to his doctor. doctor looked at him and said, whoa, we need to take some tests. Ran all the tests that he could, came out and said, before I give you a clean bill of health because I find no cancer, I have to have one question answered. Where did you get your radiation? <laughs> the man said, why do you ask? He said, because it's a radiation I know not of. He said, I want to know where you got it. He said, a fellow prayed for me down at the church. Heaven's radium killed the cancer. Come on, there's something that'll come right out of your belly. Jesus stood up and he cried out on the day of the feast and he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Most of us has barely even experienced a trickle, a drop, or even a stream at best. But there's rivers. You can't focus on sin. You can't wallow in sin. When Jesus fulfilled the law, broke the back of sin, de-stung death, he puts you over into life where if you'll just fellowship and give your attention, climb your ear, let your heart not depart. Out of your belly will flow issues of living water. Protect and guard your heart. Don't let it wallow around in anything but the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ will begin to live in you and you'll begin to experience the super on the natural until you'll live your life just as natural as you ever did before. But it'll be super and no longer natural. Somebody lift your hands and give them praise as we end. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing and the miracles and signs and wonders that are going on in these bodies. I thank you, Lord, for that hip being released and that numbness leaving and that heart being healed. I thank you, Lord God, for healings taking place. Oh, Lord, your anointing is flowing in this room. It's not a hope so. Absolutely, when we align ourselves with you, it's an absolutely no so. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.